God bless you. I'm going to let you go ahead and be seated this morning. Welcome. We're glad to see you. Merry Christmas to you. How many is going out of town this year for Christmas? Going out of the city, out of the region? Okay, the rest of you don't have any excuse. I'll see you next Sunday. See how, see how I did that? Amen. You can be seated. Today I, we're, uh, enti- you know, I'm the myth guy. We wrote, we wrote, I wrote a book uh, several years ago entitled uh, Exposing Myths Heard in Church. I grew up in church uh, like a lot of people have, and I grew up hearing a lot of things uh, that really turned out to be not true. It's a myth. And uh, those things can really hamper our journey with God, our walk with God. And it wasn't too many years later that I would begin to move into uh, the revelation, really, of God's love and grace uh, like I'd never seen it before. Um, we get a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes a lot, sometimes not so much, uh, but even this week, and I won't go into detail, uh, this person doesn't come to our church, but we get people that will message us, message the church, or message me, and um, ask questions and, and request help and and with things going on in their life. And a lot of times the their premise, their basis for the difficulty that they're experiencing is because they are believing things about God's forgiveness that is not true. Uh, so today I just want to talk to you about myths about God's forgiveness. This is a big subject. This is something that I love to talk about. I talk about it often, but it's, it's, uh, it's not one of those things that you hear one time and just, you know, grab hold of it. Uh, no religion on earth, and I hate to really even refer to Christianity as a religion because it's not, it's a relationship, but, but nobody uh, has, a, has a teaching that, that declares complete forgiveness like Christianity does. And uh, you might say it's one of our most unique selling points uh, of, of complete and total forgiveness. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 12, uh, John writes the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, I write to you, little children, uh, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Uh, and this is such a big subject, and I don't have time because I can go on a lot of, uh, you know, different ways here. But it's essential for you to understand. Most Christians have an understanding of sin as something that they do, an act, a verb, if you will, something they commit. You know, I did this, therefore I sinned. And but yet that's not the Bible's theology of what sin is. Primarily in the Bible, and I'm not saying when you do things you're not sinning, but you're, if you can understand this and get this, you really do those things because of sin. That action that you're concerned about, if it wasn't for sin, you wouldn't do that action. So sin precedes the action. Uh, when God spoke of sin, he's the first one to use the word in the Bible, and after Cain murdered Abel, God is speaking to him and he in Genesis, and he personifies sin and refers to sin as he. He says, he lieth at the door, talking about sin. That's in the King James Version. And so he actually makes it, and it is when it appears in Scripture, and this, this may seem like a mute point or something that's not even important, but it is, it's not just biblical theology. It is extremely important that you see sin as a noun, 
not a verb. Uh, the, one of the most uh, used uh, uh, gospels, the book of Romans in the New Testament, refers to sin 44 times. It says the word of sin in the, in the, King, in the New King James. Only one time out of all those times that the, in Romans that, it, that Paul uses the word sin is it a verb. It is a noun every other time. And that's important. A noun is a what? A person, place, or thing. It's not an action. Uh, the Bible says, him who knew no sin, Jesus became sin. Um, and I want you to just, I want you to look with me. Let me I thought about this really driving down here this morning. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, I just want to read one verse for you. And, and this is a verse that a lot of Christians either just skip it or they ignore it or they try to use mental intellect to try to explain it away. But uh, here in 1 John, the third epistle of John, verse 9, it says, he says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Okay? Now, how many of you have been born of God? The Bible calls it born again. Can I see your hand? All right? If this scripture is true, that means you cannot sin. Cheers. And it means since your new birth, you have not sinned as far as God is concerned. Let's just read it. It's okay to read the Bible here. Whoever has been born of God, whoever does not sin, you would say why? For his, capital his, that's God's, seed. The word seed there means sperm. It's the Greek word spermazoa. For his seed or his sperm remains in him, in the Christian. And he cannot sin. Why? Because he has been born of God. Let me ask you this. Can a sinless God give birth to a sinful offspring? It's really not a hard question, y'all. Y'all are really scaring me. I'm going slow. Can a sinless God give birth, his seed, to a sinful offspring? No. I, I'm getting more people on my side now. No. Jesus Christ was the seed of God. God used a virgin woman named Mary to carry that, that seed. That that was conceived in her, that miraculous conception, as it's called, was conceived, the Bible says, of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel told her so. She said, how can this be since I've never even been with a man? He says, the Spirit of God shall come upon you, and you shall conceive and give birth to the Son of God. Now, was Jesus sinless? Absolutely. The Bible says Jesus knew no sin. He had no connection with sin. He was sinless. Why? Because he was, he was the seed of the Father. A sinless God cannot give birth to a sinful creation, offspring. No more than a human 
can give birth to an animal. And an animal cannot conceive and give birth to a human. That's easy to understand that. And if you, if you understand that, you can understand how that a sinless God cannot give birth to a sinful offspring. And when you were born again, you were, you were born from above. Jesus said, do not marvel at this. You must be born again. We were in such a condition that God couldn't put a paint job on us and call us new. He couldn't, he couldn't renovate us. He couldn't refurbish us. He, sin had destroyed us. We were actually dead in trespasses and sin. And therefore, to, to have life, we had to have God's life. And to get that, we had to die. And we were crucified with Christ, but we are resurrected with him. And that's, you know, if you ask the average Christian what it means to be born again, what it means to be a Christian, the average Christian's response is always this. It means that my sins are forgiven. It means that I've been forgiven by God. <clears throat> and, 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 and that is true, but that's not what it means. You're not born again because your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness does not equal salvation. It's not like that you decided, I'm going to get saved today, and then God on that day forgave you. God doesn't forgive you because you ask him to. That's a myth. When did your forgiveness occur? At the cross, absolutely. When was that? To over 2,000 years ago now. When were our sins taken away? Who took them away? Did he do it? And when the Bible says, John pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away, not covers them, not puts them in a file to be remembered against you, but removes them. How far does he remove them? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so how, so, so how he, he has removed our sins. He's removed them. Now our minds can't even, you can't even comprehend how far the east is from the west. Because <laughs> there's no end to that. That's what God said. He said, I have thrown your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Never to be remembered against you anymore. But that's not what we grew up hearing. So we, we grew up on, on myths. We grew up on hearing that, that you know, God, you know, you know, he, he may forgive you, he may, he may not. So we'll just call this the first one. God may forgive you. It's called the old carrot and sticks methodology. You know what carrots and stick mean? You do good, you get the carrot. You do bad, you get the stick. This is how the world operates. This is how the humanistic world operates. This is how your employer operates. You do good at work, you get the carrot. You do bad, you get the stick. Right? This is how it is at Christmas. If you be good, you get presents. If you be not good, you get a bag of coal or whatever. We have all been raised on that humanistic philosophy and theology, and it's not a theology at all. 
That's not the kingdom of God and that's not God and God's not Santa Claus. See, the Bible says God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. And most people, most Christians even when they quote that scripture, they're talking about, well, we go through bad times and God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Are you kidding me? You, you, you already, that's, that is a rejoicing scripture. That means God called, if it don't rain, y'all, we dead. Rain is not, oh, it called, God causes it to rain. That's a, that's a good thing. If it don't rain, we're all toast. You understand that? So God says, I cause it to rain on the just and I cause it to rain on the unjust. I cause rain to come blessings, in other words, on the righteous and the unrighteous. God blesses you. He blessed you today. We do it like we like, like they do in the old church, Ivory. He woke me up this morning. Started me off, come on now, in my right mind. I, I didn't have to wipe this flob off my chin because I could swallow. I could, I could get up out the, see, see, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he woke me up and started me on my, on my way. Hmm? But the myth is God may forgive you. Man-made religion manipulates people with that. And, uh, but if we, just, if we just preach the truth. I, I want to read something to you out of Acts 13 and verse 38. Acts 13 and 38. This is the Apostle Paul. He's preaching here. And, he, and this is kind of in the middle of his sermon. He says, therefore let it be known to you, brethren. He's talking to the Jewish people here. That through this man, capital M, Jesus, is preached to you, what? The forgiveness of sins. Uh, a while ago when I read 1 John 2 and 12 when he says, Did I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven? It, it's not a verb. Sin is not a verb there in that context. It's a noun. He says in, in Acts 13, 38, I'm, I, I, I'm pre this is the message of this man Jesus, that your sins are forgiven you. And he says in verse 39, and by him, everyone who does what? Now see, you don't get born again until you mix that, that forgiveness that is free with faith in the, in the forgiver, which is Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith. That's what Ephesians teaches us. We are saved by grace. It's God's grace. The grace of God has appeared to all men. Uh, but we're saved by grace, but it's through faith. Now, if you can receive, listen to me, the whole world is forgiven. God has forgiven the world of sin. Jesus took away the sin of the, really, the world, not just the sin of the Christians that confessed them. The church. No, the sin of the world. He says, now, and by him, everyone who believes is justified. The word justified means made righteous. Same word, same, same word. Sometimes that Greek word is interpreted justified. Sometimes it's interpreted made righteous. Same, same word. It means the same thing. But everyone who believes, believes in what? In this good news, is justified from all things that the law of Moses, you couldn't be justified by. You could keep the law of Moses and you're still not justified. That's, that's what it says. Beware, now listen to this. Beware, therefore lest what has been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. Now I'll tell you, this is still comes upon people. Today. Listen to what the, the prophets had prophesied in the Old Covenant. He says, Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. 
Every time I declare this word, there are people that don't believe it because it is news that is so good, it sounds too good to be true. And it says, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words that Paul had, was preaching might be preached to them next Sunday, next Sabbath, really, next Sabbath. The Gentiles. Now, he was speaking to the Jews, but they said, would you, would you come back next week and preach this to us? And so down in verse 44 of Acts 13, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Hear the word of God. And a great, a great move of God took over that region. And the Gentiles flooded into the kingdom of God. They begged. If people knew how good the gospel is, they would beg, would you preach that again next Sunday? And I'm going to get my family and friends and all of them that's lost as a good. I'm going to bring them to church. Would you preach this same thing again next Sunday? The whole city came out to hear. Why? Because they heard, they heard good news. What was the good news? The forgiveness of Jesus had was been declared. That, that was the message. The, the, the forgiveness of Christ. And so what, what the, you know, the myth is, well, he, he might forgive. Listen, your sins were, were forgiven at the cross. Another myth is that God's forgiveness comes with price tags. Prior to the cross, listen to me. This is where people get confused. Prior to the cross, listen, the cross of Jesus Christ radically changed everything. It, it changed everything. But it's like the church don't get that. It's like, well, we, you, know, we, you know, Jesus is coming really didn't make that big a difference. Are you kidding me? It changed everything. The old covenant is over with. All right? So prior to the cross, Jesus did preach conditional Forgiveness to people living under the old covenant law-keeping system. And he did that like in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Jesus said, words in red are to make you dead. You remember. What, what's the law to do? The law is to slay you, to kill you. The letter killeth. Thank you. But the Spirit does what? Gives what? Life. Why don't the Spirit give forgiveness? Because forgiveness ain't the problem because sin's not the issue anymore. The issue's life or death. All right, so Jesus here in Matthew 6, 14 says, For if, everybody say if, that means conditional. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's conditional. Verse 15, in case you ain't clear on verse 14, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, can you imagine a preacher getting up on this Sunday morning and he, took, he reads the Bible, he says, these are the words of Jesus, and he preaches the fire out of them two verses. And he tells every one of you that if you've got all in your heart against anybody, then you're cut off from God. He don't hear your prayers. He don't hear anything from you. You are out of relationship. You are out of fellowship with him. And you, God's not going to listen to anything you say until you forgive that person that trespassed against you. And you've all, most of you, have sat under preaching just like that. You were raised on it like I was. And so you're sitting there, and I don't know if you've ever had people really gut you, hurt you. I don't know if you just want to go around with your little glib, you've got to forgive them. I don't know if you've had, like I've had women walk up to me after I've preached and said, you know, when I used to think this is how it was, and said, well, you've got to forgive them. If you don't forgive them, you cut off, you can't even go to heaven. Because God don't forgive you. No sin shall enter in. You lost. No matter if you're saved, you're still lost now. 
What a mixed message we tell people. And I've had, I remember one night I had a lady come up and said, I was brutally beaten and raped by a man. And you telling me I got to forgive him for what he did to me? And being a young preacher raised by law, I said, yes, ma'am, you got to forgive him. She turned around and walked out. Because I didn't know grace. I didn't understand that, because I thought, well, if Jesus said that's where it's got to be, because that's prior to the cross. Everything changed after the cross. God ain't saying after, you, after the cross you don't have to forgive people. And the apostle Paul says, forgive people. Even as Christ has forgiven, has, past tense, forgiven you. It's good to forgive people. But your relationship with God ain't based on your ability to forgive or not. Because that would make your salvation contingent on what you can, can do and can't do. And it's not based on that. After the cross, Jesus fulfilled the law. See, that was under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled all righteous requirements of the law so that we could live under a new and a better covenant called the grace of God. So don't go over there and read Matthew 6 and shove that in somebody's face and tell them that if they don't forgive, then God don't forgive them. That's not true. And, and, and instead of preaching a law to people that never applied to us in the first place, why don't we just tell them the good news that the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to all people? Luke 24, 47, that's what it says. It says the forgiveness of sin. Jesus said this. After he rose from the dead, this is what Jesus said. He said the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to all nations. That's what Jesus said. And so do you see forgiveness is, see most of the church still sees forgiveness as something that God can do. Forgiveness is something that God has done. Big, big time difference. And if you're living with that wrong, that well, forgiveness is something that God can do, if I ask him, if I'm sincere, if I confess, if I cry, if I'm repentant, if I'm sorry, knock it off, dude. God don't forgive because of that. The Bible says in Acts 10, 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission, that means forgiveness, of sins. Forgiveness is not a reward that you've earned, it, 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 but it's, it, it is a gift that is received by faith in the forgiver, and that's Jesus. You can't work for it. because Why don't we get up in church and say, well, Jesus has done it all, all to him I owe. Well, what you trying to do something for then? If he's done it all, ain't nothing left for you to do. Except what? Belief. Belief. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 and 7, we have redemption through his, what? Blood. The forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That's Ephesians 1 and 7. We have redemption through his blood. So what is it that causes God to forgive? It is the shedding of his blood. Now, let, let me just say this to you. Uh, you can just about ask any Christian, do they believe that God loves everybody unconditionally? What do you think the answer to that would be? You think the Baptists believe that? Really? You think the Methodists believe that? You think the Pentecostals believe that? How about Charismatic? How about Nazarene, Tangerine, Assembly of God, Church of God? How about them? Huh? Really, broad brushstroke here. Most everybody that claims any knowledge of Jesus or God would say, God loves everybody unconditionally. Right? 
Now, when we get them to define what that really means, I mean, we, it might fall apart. But they would say, yes, God loves everybody. Even sinner, yes, God loves everybody. They would say that. All right, now let me ask you this. How in the world can you declare and preach that, that God is a God of unconditional love, yet he, he has conditional forgiveness? Let me say it another way. How can you have un, un, unconditional love and not have unconditional forgiveness? If you have unconditional love, by that very statement, it means that you have unconditional forgiveness. For how can you love someone and you say you truly love them, yet you do not forgive them of their wrong? That's not the picture that the Bible paints of love. The Bible says God is love. Y'all act like I'm preaching something y'all ain't never heard before. God is love, all right, and in 1 Corinthians 13, it's called, the, you know, love, it talks about love, and like the NIV and all says that love keeps no record of wrong done. Now, one of the attributes of love, which God is love, is that it keeps no record of the wrong that has been done. Therefore, the love is unconditional because the forgiveness is unconditional. And do you see what a mixed message, message that the church has put out all these years? Because now we declare and we tell people God loves everybody's unconditional love. God loves you. God loves you. And then they turn around and tell you that you're not forgiven, though, until you do X, Y, Z, until you do this. And, and it's, just, it, it's, just, it's, just not, it's just absolutely not, not true. Um, you were forgiven 2,000 years ago. On, on the cross. Now, let, let me say this to you. The, the, the Old Testament picture, video, if you will, of what causes God to forgive is the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is how much forgiveness? None. When's the last time blood was shed? 2,000 years ago when Jesus uh, died on the cross. So, so the, the Bible says in Exodus 12, it's talking about the Passover. Remember when, when death was coming on the, the Hebrew uh, slaves, and, and he told them to go in the house and to apply the blood of an innocent animal, a lamb. And, 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 and then God says, when I see the blood, I will do what? I will pass over you. So all that had to happen was the people to put faith in the word of Moses that was preached to them, and the, the remedy to, to escape death is to just get in your house and to take an, a lamb, which was a type of Jesus to come, and sacrifice that animal, take its blood, and put it on the lintel and the doorpost of your home, and get behind that house, by that behind that blood, and stay in that house, and you will not die. And everybody that's in that house, the death angel will pass over that house. There will be no harm. There will be no judgment. There will be no pain. They will be no trauma. It don't matter if they little or they big. If they old or what, it don't matter their heritage. It don't matter their skin color. It don't matter if they'll just do what the word says and apply the blood and get behind that blood and stay in that house. When I see the what? the When I see your good works? I'll put, no. When I see your sinless life? No. When I see your church membership card? When I see your baptism record. No, when I see the what? The blood. 
So what, what, what does it mean? Listen, what does it mean to see blood? It means there's been a death. It, it means there's been a judgment brought. It means there's been a sacrifice. Because why? Because life, Leviticus says, is in the blood. And when the blood has been spilled, it means that there's been a, a, a death there. So listen, today God is not being merciful to you. It is wrong for you as a New Testament Christian to ever say these words, Oh God, be merciful unto me. I didn't think I'd get no amens, but I'm used to it. Post-resurrection, after the resurrection of Jesus, you will never see in the Bible anybody say, Oh God, be merciful to me. God's not been merciful to you because he saved you. Let me ask you this. When you go down and you purchase something, when you, when you stack your groceries and you pay them for your groceries and they hand them to you, are they being merciful to you at Publix by giving you your groceries? No, they, they're doing what's right. Why are they handing you them groceries and letting you push them out without calling the popo on you? Because they've been paid for. They're not being merciful. You don't go... I want to tell you, thank y'all for being so merciful to me today and sacking up my groceries and letting me get out of here without y'all calling the law. God bless y'all, bless y'all. Ain't none of that. You like putting my groceries in my car, baby. I'm, I'm pushing these out. I, I paid for these. I push these to my car and stick them in there and take all the time I want and use y'all's buggy to do it. <laughs> Might take the buggy too if you get at it. I see people pushing around. They got them from somewhere. <laughs> no, it's been, it's been, they're not being merciful. They're not being merciful. God today is not merciful in saving you. Listen to me. God today is not merciful in, in healing you. He is just. He is right in saving you. He is right in healing you. You don't pray, Father, have mercy. That's an old covenant prayer. You, you, you won't find that. You, the Bible says in Revelation 22, 14, when you're born again now, you have the right to the tree of life, and that's Jesus. You've got a right to be healed. You've got a right to be saved. It's your right. Why is it your right? Because you're a child of God. You've been born from above. He's your father. You're, you're, you're a joint heir with Christ Jesus. God's not being merciful to you as sinner anymore. Because they would pray that in the old covenant because the new covenant had not came yet. My goodness, this is good. You were forgiven 2,000 years ago. And it's absolute nonsense to say God hasn't forgiven our future sins. Because... When he forgave us of all sin, all our sins were future. Amen. Y'all just let me know if I say anything that's good and encouraging. Amen. <laughs> Another myth is that God forgives in installments. It's like that God made a deposit in a forgiving account, gave you a forgiveness debit card, and every time you you need it, you can draw on that account. That, that's how a lot of people live their life. In other words, it's, it's a, this is how the standard myth, I, I call it the maintenance myth, really. It goes like this. God forgave some of your sins, but now it's up to you to keep the ledger clean from this point forward. So how do you do that? Because you have to personally confess and remember each and every sin that you commit from the day now. That, because when you got saved, now God forgive you of all your past sins.
But now from here on out, your salvation is contingent on you. And actually on your ability to recall information and remember and to keep track of every single sin. And so if you sin at 9 o'clock in the morning and you don't ask God to forgive you of that sin and you go throughout the day and you intend to, you know, ask him, you know, maybe that night if you feel like it to forgive you, but you're busy working now and you just you felt the need to curse out a fellow employee for being, you know, not smart. And so you told them, you know, what you thought about them and their mama. And you cussed them out and told them how sorry they are and all that because they made you mad. I mean, that's a sin. You're not supposed to do that. And you don't ask forgiveness of that because you're still so full of anger. And the rapture, unfortunately, happens at 3 o'clock. You don't get off to 5. Guess where you go? This ain't Monopoly, but you go straight to hell. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. You go straight to hell. That's what I was raised on. And so I live my Christian life worrying every moment that I would sin, kick the dog off the porch, cuss the cat, and the rapture would happen there, I'd go to hell. Because I didn't keep the, I didn't keep the ledger clean. They, in church, they do it like this, keep short accounts with God. Confess every sin. And they base that teaching on an erroneous one passage out of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There is no place in the Bible that God calls a once born again person unrighteous ever. That is heresy. Once you're born again, you have been gifted the gift of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are not righteous by anything you've done. You're righteous by everything that he's done. And you are righteous because God says you are. No matter what your neighbor says, your mama says, your wife says, it don't matter what your husband says, you are righteous. It don't make no difference. What the devil says, you are righteous and you are the righteous of God. And you are as righteous as you will ever be. And you're righteous because God says you are. If you don't understand that, you're going to live a miserable Christian life. And I'm a guy that lived decades miserably. Fear was my constant companion because I was raised on that heresy. If you sin and the rapture happens, you're, you're, you're lost, you're, you're done for. So what do you spend your day as a Christian doing? Trying to win the lost, tell people about the good news? No, you just try and survive this thing called Christianity. And you spend your days trying to keep the slate clean. And then so anytime you do have time to pray with God, you can't, you've been taught you can't even pray with God until you swab the deck. Because God won't hear no prayers no how. So you got to start out saying, oh, God, I ask you to forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. God, forgive us of the sins that we've committed and forgive us of the sins that we've committed and we don't even know we've committed. Forgive us of the sins of omissions. Forgive us of the sins of commission. Forgive us of all of our sins, Father, for we're all sinners and we're just a bunch of sloppy sinners. Oh, God, have mercy on our souls. You grew up in church hearing that. Oh, God, we just ask you to forgive us of all our sins. We come before you. So you're asking God to do what he's already did. So who's the liar here? Are you saying God didn't forgive you of your sins? You're saying that Jesus didn't accomplish what he came to do. I read this week, y'all. I read it this week. I could pull it up, but it's just, 
I, I read it this week. A, a, a national pastor said, printed with typed it, that the coronavirus is God's judgment to the world because of sin. He said it is God's judgment to the world because of sin. This guy has a daily blog. He has a wide audience, bigger than mine, I'll tell you that. And this is what he's pushing and promoting, that the coronavirus is God's judgment sent to purge this world, and particularly America, he said, of her sin. Well, we need to change our name of our church then to the first Corona church. Because Jesus ain't our Savior no more. Because what Jesus did, he didn't do. So Jesus didn't have the effect on sin that the Father was hoping he would have. And so sin has not been dealt with and it's not been handled. And so now what God's done is sentence another Savior named Coronavirus. And, let's, and stop getting vaccinated and just start worshiping it. Because that's your Savior. Anything that can eradicate and remove your sin or cause your life to be better because God's dealing with your sin, then just worship that because that's your Savior. A lot of Christians, we know when I die, things will get better. Well, worship death then because death is your Savior. Jesus ain't your Savior. You're just looking forward to dying. That way you can be better. The Bible says death is an enemy. And the last enemy that will be dealt with by God is death. But death ain't saving you. You're not going to be better after you're dead. A better Christian. <laughs> well, then death is your Savior then. What you waiting on? What we should have did is had two evangelists, one to preach salvation, the second evangelist to shoot you in the head and kill you right after you got saved. That way we'd be sure everybody makes it to heaven. You saved? Yeah. Boom. All right. There we got one in there. We know he made it. Next. <laughs> this is a mess y'all preach, man. I'm just trying to unravel the, you know. Y'all the one tied the reel all up knots. I'm trying to untangle it. <laughs> because if they, if you leave them to their own devices, if they don't confess everything, I mean, it's just too dangerous to let them try to make this on their own. You know, just get them saved. Are you sure you say, yeah, boom, okay, now, you're, we, you know, because heaven's better. You know, there you are. There you go. It's just too chancy, man, to take it on, you know, because you might mess up and sin and a rap trap. You'd be left. Got to get your head chopped off. I mean, all that stuff, man. It's just, you better be, you know, saved, dead, boom, you know, with Jesus. Hallelujah. It's warning anybody who comes to church. The mess they've heard us declare about Jesus. And I don't mean that we all did it intentionally and we just, you know, spirit of stupid was on us. You just repeat what you hear the guy in front of you, behind you repeat. Grandpa preached this, I just preached what he preached. I mean, it worked for him. No, it didn't work for him. It didn't work for him. Because the enemy's done a great job of trying to keep us out of the grace of God. Because he knows that we're saved by through faith in God's goodness. So God don't forgive in installments. You've been completely, listen to me, and eternally forgiven through the blood of the Lamb. God don't forgive on installment plan. 
in Christ you are as forgiven as forgiven can ever be. Another myth, the fourth one, God only forgives some people. Now the Catholics say, no offense to the Catholic, but the Catholics say only those who confess are forgiven. Now you know that's true. That's what they teach. And then the Protestants, see, they, 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 look at them Catholics, man, look at that mess they bleed. They bleed on by even be forgiven unless they confess to the priest. Protestants teach the same thing. I said the Protestants, and you're a Protestant if you're not a Catholic, teach the same thing. They're teaching unless you confess, you're not forgiven. They confess to the priest, we confess to Jesus, but if still you got to confess to, you know, to, to get it done. And it's absolutely insane. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that when John pointed, John 1, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, behold him. To forgive means to carry away and take away people's sins. Jesus carried away the sin. There's no sin that he did not bear. He sacrificed uh, their, the Bible says he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice, Hebrews, Hebrews 7 and 27. Now listen to me. Some people hold on to their sins as though that they're not forgiven. And that's a terrible way to live. But I'm just saying to you, but as far as God is concerned, all our sins were dealt with at the cross. Now, now here's, here's the good news. Now listen to this. 1 John 2, 2. 1 John 2, 2. Listen to this. He himself, Jesus, is, is, not was, not will be one day, is the propitiation, that's, no, that's not a word we don't use often, for our sins. The word sin there, again, is a noun. It's not a verb. And not for ours only, but also for the, those of the whole world. Now, what does the word propitiation mean? It means the satisfying or the appeasing offering. In other words, because of Jesus, the demands of justice have been fully satisfied in Christ's crucifixion. Now, once upon a time, the world was under the condemnation of sin, but God has forgiven all sin, and there is nothing left to forgive. Listen, if God is satisfied with the sacrifice of his son, then why won't we be satisfied with him? Another myth, the fifth one I'm giving you today, God forgives, but he never forgets. This is the one they used to whoop out on us when I was coming up in church, the old videotape threat. I want to tell you, you're going to stand before God, and that that you've done in secret shall be brought out in open, and God's going to play a videotape, and all of your secret sins are going to be portrayed right up there for the whole world to see what you did in darkness. <laughs> Man, that's some good preaching and good church going, isn't it? You really left that Sunday feeling great. More good news, preacher. Ain't no videotape going to be played. The word videotape ain't even in the Bible. Imagine that. But I grew, anybody besides me ever hear a preacher refer to that as going to be a tape play? Look at this. Y'all went to a crazy church just like me. Listen, that's called fake news. That ain't good news. There are no videotapes because the love keeps no record of wrong done to it. Listen what, listen what the Bible says. 
I'm almost done. Listen, Hebrews 10, 17, and it also says the same thing in Hebrews 8 and 12. But Hebrews 10, 17 says this is, he's talking about the new covenant. He says this he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, God says, I will remember no more. No more. That right there makes you want to headbutt the chair in front of you. God says, all of your sin, I will remember how long? No more. I remember this old quartet. I, went, I remember they used to sing a song because it was one of them rare gospel songs that had, actually had accurate theology. <laughs> and, and it says that the song went something like, all I remember is one part said, what sins are you talking about for I don't remember them anymore. I don't remember them anymore. Now, how are you going to say that God says, I don't remember them? I don't remember them. Now, you can, you can, you can wallow in the bed, and you can, you can, you can suffer uh, from, you know, from, from just you know, be, being consumed with regret at what you did. And I'm not saying it wasn't significant. I'm not saying it wasn't harmful. I'm not saying it didn't. I mean, I understand. Sin, that's why God hates sin, because it hurts. The wages of sin is death. It hurts, and it hurts the people God loves. But God loves the sinner. And, and so you can have regret, regrets that keep you up at night, but I want to tell you, God remembers your sins no more. None. He doesn't remember. And then how are you going to say that that's true? I can tell you over and over, Hebrews 10, 17, Hebrews 8 and 12, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Look at this. Not counting people's sins against them. God's not counting your sins against you. You're not going through a hard time because God is counting your sins against you. I've told you over and over, there are consequences, bad consequences to poor choices. And if you sin, then you're going to suffer but it's not God behind the trigger. God's not the one doing it to you. God's not punishing you. You're not paying God back. You're not even reaping what you sowed as far as from God's perspective. If you, I've told you over and over, if you go rob the bank, they're going to lock you up. You going to jail. But God didn't send you to jail. God didn't do that. Don't get in prison. My God sent me here where he could get. God ain't sent you there. You sent yourself there. You sent yourself there. Don't blame God. I don't want to hear you test. Well, the Lord put me in the hospital, broke both my legs. I tell you, I had time to get into the Word. God is not the Godfather. He don't break legs. He don't drown people. He don't send hurricanes and floods. He didn't send tornadoes yesterday and the day before to kill 70 plus people. God don't, God's not behind that. That's called steal, kill, destroy. The Bible says, John 10, the thief cometh to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus, when he saw storms coming, he rebuked them. If that storm was from his father, Jesus was rebuking his father. If everybody that dies is supposed to be dead because God wants them dead, then why did Jesus ever raise anybody from the dead? Because that means he's undoing what the father wanted. The reason Jesus raised them from the dead is because they weren't supposed to be dead. You got to make up your mind what you're going to believe, man. 
get your head right with God. And the grace of God just to free you. You can just say, man, y'all just crazy. There's so much mess people try to tell you. It's just, it's just ridiculous. See, the good news is the Father loves you more than you ever know. And during his time on earth, what Jesus did is he went around forgiving people who had done nothing to deserve him. He forgave people that never even asked him for forgiveness. Like the woman caught in adultery, throwed at his feet, trying to, they trying to stone her. She never asked for forgiveness, yet Jesus pronounced her no condemnation, which means total forgiveness. The man that they tore the roof off and lowered him down paralyzed. He just came because he wanted, you know, his friends wanted him to get healed. And I, I assume the man wanted healing himself. Because he let them carry him, I guess. And they ripped the roof off where Jesus was preaching because the crowd was so great they couldn't get him to. And they lowered him into Jesus. And, and, and Jesus says to this man, his first words, and you've heard me say it over and over out of Luke. Jesus looks at this man who is laying paralyzed on a cot and says, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now how are you going to bring up all that mess in the church like you're not forgiven unless you confess it? Because you just called Jesus a liar. That man didn't confess nothing. Jesus said, you're forgiven. Over and over, he pronounces people forgiven and they didn't ask for it. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That what this forgiveness looks like, unconditional love, unconditional. And, and it, listen to me, and if God doesn't remember your sins anymore, don't run around and tell people that the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. How is, is the Holy Spirit God or not? It's real simple. Is the Holy Spirit God? Okay, he's not reminding you of your sins. What reminded me then? Something reminded your conscience. Your own con the Bible says their conscience convicted them, New Testament. Their conscience did. You have a conscience. Listen to it. It can, do, it can serve you well. But it's not God. God's not reminding. God's not, you know, it's not like the Holy Spirit, you know, God says, I remember your sins no more. And the Holy Spirit says, don't worry about it, Father. I got a record of it. I'll remind them for you. I got this. No, the Holy Spirit is God. He's one God. One Lord, one Lord manifested in three personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's one. And you go, I don't understand that. Well, I'm, I'm more than that. I'm, th I'm more than three and one. I'm, I'm father to my children. I'm husband to my wife. And I'm a son to my mom. Yet I'm one. But I relate to those in all those different ways. That's what God is. God's our Father. God's also the Son. He's also the Holy Spirit who's not only with us but in us. He's for us. Can you stand to your feet? Any good news said in here today? You know what? <clears throat> I need somebody to say, would you preach that again? Nah, we can't do it next time. Would you preach that same thing the next time? And then just bring them in here by the herds and just say, listen, I want you to come here to this guy. It's going to tell you some good news. It's just going to blow your mind. Because the prophets even prophesied that when they start preaching the new covenant, really preach it, that though you hear a one declare it, you would not believe it. That's what the prophets said. They said, this news is so good. They said that prophetically we have seen this new covenant. And I want to say to you that in your day, that when it is declared, it will be so good. You won't even believe it even though one may declare it to you. And that's what happened. The Jews, when they heard it, they didn't believe it. And God turned to the Gentiles. And that, that many forsook the Jews. But God's always turning to those that will receive the good news by faith.
God loves you more than my ability to declare to you. God is not angry with you. And I just don't, it's just too big a deal. But that's why Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us all how to be born again. It says if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that, that thou shalt be saved. It says for with the, with the mouth, with the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That whole chapter, Romans 10, that tells people how to be saved, never mentions the word sin. I wonder why. Because sin's no longer the issue. I've told you this over and over. Philippians Acts, Philippian jail, Acts 16. The Roman jailer is about to commit suicide because he thinks the prisoners have escaped. Paul says, don't do it. We're all still here, bro. He saw the power of God demonstrated. He said, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, bow your head, confess your sins. Paul didn't say, say the sinner's prayer. None of that's in the Bible. It's in every church almost in America, but it is not in the Bible. It is heresy to tell somebody they have to confess their sins to be born again. It is heresy. God says what you need to confess is my son, is Savior and Lord. That's what saves you. I took, you couldn't deal with sin. You couldn't deal with sin. I, I, I reconciled the sin of the world to myself. I handled that. Sin's no longer on the plate. It's off there. But now you're still not saved because I've forgiven you. And let me tell you something. You don't enjoy the benefits of it until you receive it. You run, people running around here all over uh, this, this region, and they're, they're forgiven by God. They don't know it, and they're also uh, forgiven by God, but they're not enjoying the benefits of it because they don't think God's forgiven them because they hadn't done nothing yet. They hadn't done this. They hadn't done this. They're, you know, you're forgiven. You just not put your faith in the forgiver. And then once you put your faith in the forgiver, when you know you're forgiven, that's good news. And you just go. But what, what happens when you get born again is not that you get forgiveness. What happens when you get born again is you get life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. The issue is not forgiveness. The issue is life and death. When they ate that fruit in the garden, they died. And the day you eat, you should die. And God didn't say, I come in the garden to forgive you. No, I came in the garden to bring life back to you because now you're spiritually dead in trespasses and sin. And so I've come that they might have life. And the issue today is one of life. It's not one of forgiveness. God loves you, man. You're forgiven. God holds no sin against you. Well, I ain't never even been. It don't matter, dude. You are forgiven by God. You're just as forgiven by God as I am. God don't hold nothing against you. He remembers your sins no more because Jesus paid it all. Really? That's good news, man. It's awesome news, bro. All you got to do is put your faith in that one that forgave, and life will come rushing into you. And you'll be born again. You'll be born from above. God will put his life in you. And his life is not temporary, conditional life. It is eternal life. And once God puts his life in you, nobody can take his life out of you. And you are eternally forgiven, eternally saved, righteous before God. That, that's the gospel. And then you tell him, now you go and live your life out of that truth. And you'll sin less on accident and you ever tried to sin less on purpose because <laughs> you're living out of that righteousness that was gifted to you amen I love preaching that more than I do eating chicken you know what <laughs> I like some chicken if it's cooked good <laughs> amen father thank you for loving us thank you for forgiving us 
Thank you for healing us. Thank you, Father, for the gospel, the good news. I pray give me the strength, the voice, the means, the media, the books, the Facebooks, the, the, the podcasts to help us to get this truth out to everybody that has been raised on religion, been raised on law, been raised on conditional uh, forgiveness. Let them know that you unconditionally, unconditionally love them and you have unconditionally forgiven them. For Jesus took away the sin of the entire world and he is the, the appeasing sacrifice to the judgment of God. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. <laughs> hey, man, if you want prayer, come up here. We, we, I'll be here waiting on you. We love you. Pastor Johanna's going to say, don't run out. Help her move the chairs and the tables. Amen.